Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with Dame Judy Fox. How are you, Judy? Good. How are you? I am fabulous. Are you ready so, to fail? Yeah, I'm always ready to fail. I mean, <laughs> I it seems like I can't stop from failing. Sometimes. Let's hit the failure ground running. <laughs> well, the good thing is, first, for the listeners and for everyone else, you get a chance to pump yourself up, brag about yourself a little bit before we get to the failures. Just so oh, before I fail? Deflate yourself nice. so that we don't have to deflate too much. <laughs> so we so can we, just pop the bubble. <laughs> yeah. Or give people an idea of the stakes. So like, what is it that you do? And like, is there anything you want to say? That's like a little braggy thing that will give us some of the high before we get into the lows. Oh, I'm starting with a brag. If you're going to let me Go brag. For it. Um, <laughs> so I was very honored to get picked by Yahoo finance as a top 10 LinkedIn coach for 2021. And I'm just rolling on through with that uh, support, assuming I would make it to top 10 2022, but they never released a list for 2022. So I'm assuming we're just rolling 2021 all the way into the future. (laughs) Absolutely. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yes. And um, yeah, I guess another huge win has been just Supporting hundreds of clients throughout the pandemic, especially because during the pandemic, people really realized the power of having an online presence across all different social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn, because I had leaned into LinkedIn for so long, I launched my own business on LinkedIn, engineering consulting business in 2000, early 2000s. I was able to turn that around and coach and teach people how to use LinkedIn to get more business for you. So that is what I do. LinkedIn Business Accelerator. And I've had hundreds of people go through my coaching and I've probably trained at this point. I'm estimating I've done at least 10,000 people worth of trainings. I'm thinking. That's amazing. And above. I love it. Um, There's the bragging. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it because... For the longest time, I started LinkedIn on LinkedIn in 2007, and I never really gave in until like January of this year. So, and I think you were part of of the reason because I came over with the LinkedIn audio stuff from Clubhouse. I was kind of addicted to Clubhouse at the time, and got off of it when I was like, "Fine, LinkedIn, you're going to do something cool that I like. Maybe I'll check it out and see how how that works." And there's only so, so many people that could host rooms, um, so I'd see you know you and Troy and some other people around and that's how I got back into it. And now I'm really digging into it. And so I want to say thank you for making LinkedIn seem something that I'd want to get to be a part of, because now I'm actually doing a lot with it. Um, but what, when you, it was back in 2000, how long ago did you start? You said, I mean, I joined LinkedIn in 2008. I was obviously doing things before then, but I officially launched my company around 2008, 2009. So what got you so jazzed about it back then? Because I resisted for a long time because it seems like a boring platform. So sell people on the reason why it's not a boring platform. And I agree now it's not, by the way. Yes. So back in 2008, 2009, it was definitely 
maybe more boring. <laughs> I did look for what was happening and what was fun on the platform if I could find it. Mm-hmm. But people were not using LinkedIn like social media. Back in the day, we really were using it for business networking and connection and treating it like the online handshake, like let's do a deal. Yeah. Now, because of the world of influencers, gig economy, the creator economy, that world has exploded and even shifted and changed because of the pandemic. So the fact that we can upload video, we can host audio rooms and live stream on the platform, which never existed until yeah. the, you know, the last three or four years, then we have the ability to reach thousands and millions of people because of LinkedIn and that kind of reach on that platform is to me way more powerful than any other platform. Number one, because the average person on LinkedIn is either college educated or they have, um, I think the average income is 70,000 and above. Mm -hmm. And I think you're also just interacting in a space where other people want business and opportunities just like you want business and opportunities. So you're speaking more peer-to-peer language and people are in the same mindset. I want something from being on LinkedIn. So do you, we don't want the same job. We don't want the same business, but I also want to succeed. So let's succeed together or fail together. Ha ha ha. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there's no uh, exact blueprint blueprint i mean like there's no for sure fire way of getting something that's going to be viral or getting content that people will find interesting what i did like about linkedin and what i like to reference it as is like business meeting stand-up comedy when you're in a business meeting the bar for laughing is low because people aren't aren't expecting to laugh or or they're begging to laugh you know and so they're like give me any kind of fun and that's why i think you know the things you're doing to inject fun into the linkedin stuff and what i try to do with excel because it's Similarly, uh, you know, kind of a boring topic. I think it's important to uh, to include that fun piece. So I like that that's a big part of what you do as well. It's not just how do we demonstrate our value as a business, but also how do we make it, you know, a little bit more fun? Yeah. I wanted to mention when it comes to fun that people forget fun is value. And I hear the words go out and create value for your client and your ideal audience. And people literally forget that part of that value can be making somebody laugh. Yeah. And And that's valuable to them. It may not seem valuable to you, but it's valuable to them. Well, no, it is because people uh, remember experiences and Mm -hmm. there's that, you know, I forget what the quote was about, you know, people will forget what you said but they won't forget how you made them feel. That's Maya Angelou. I know I was going to, I didn't want to mess up her name first. Ah! <laughs> my Angelou. Sorry, Angelou. I didn't even want to say that. Oh, I've pronounced my own guests wrong. Their names. So <laughs> there's that Maya Angelou quote, <laughs> you know, people will forget how you, what you said, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And I think that goes a long way with what you're talking about, about experiences and giving someone a fun time. Cause they'll probably forget most of the words that you did say, but if you made them feel good or laugh or have fun, they'll probably have a better, uh, you know, memory of the time you spent together. Yes. And the other thing that people, when they map out a content strategy or they think about LinkedIn and they think about how to get active on there, they immediately 
like stiffen up their language or they think about how to they want to get so quickly to business that they forget that they have to add up touch points. Mm-hmm. And that's just that casual get to know each other touch points the same way that if you met somebody at a conference, most of the time, let's play out. You start the conference. It's 8 a.m. There's a thousand people at this conference. You want to interact and network with people and stand in line with them and then sit next to them and do all the steps. Right. Mm mm-hmm. It's really awkward if you literally walked up to a stranger and said, what are you guys doing for lunch? Let me join you. Like you haven't earned lunch yet. You could earn lunch all morning because if you go, you say to somebody next to you, oh, what's the next uh, track that you're going to go to? Or have you been to some of the booths? Is there any good booths out there? And you can start these random conversations that are local to the Mm -hmm. conversation that's happening right that minute. Same thing happens on LinkedIn. Join in your industry, whatever industry you're in, go join what's happening. Not, I just want to sit in a conference room and create content and push it out there. I want to go see what's happening. What what are they talking about on stage here? Oh, I can make a post about that. I want to go see what's happening in this conversation in my industry over here. I can Mm -hmm. make a post about that. And then join it. And then you'll earn the right to have a coffee chat or... But I don't want to talk to random coffee chats that I just met you at 8 a.m. at the beginning of the conference. And now we've booked a lunch together like that doesn't happen in real life. So why do we try to make it happen online? Exactly. And, uh, you know, there's the classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And one of the bigger parts is showing a genuine interest in other people. And the part that they stress is the genuine piece, because if you're not really interested in them, they're going to see through pretty quickly. You're just trying to get to the sale. But if you actually are interested in people, then, you know, you get the chance later on to bring up the things that you do. But it is important to do that first part. And a lot of people avoid LinkedIn, like you're saying, because they're like, oh, I'm, I hate getting sales pitches in my, you know, inbox or whatever. And it's it's amazing that people still do it. I'm sure some percentage of it works that, or they wouldn't, but it's uh, it can be it can be tough. But at least it's easier to stand out in that kind of environment, you know, to your point. Like if you're a company that's doing more than just saying, you know, posting once a week about the thing they care about, about themselves that no one really is going to interact with. And, you know, even I used to do that sometimes. Uh, I've been doing this podcast a little over two years now. At the beginning, I would just throw the same post I put on Twitter, on Instagram, put it on LinkedIn, not interact with anyone. It would barely go anywhere and no one would look at it. And once you really realized how to engage with an audience, not that I'm any kind of expert, but, you know, just from seeing what you and others do, it's uh, it's way better to be doing business with people that you also like and feel like you want to be hanging out with uh, outside of, you know, quote unquote work. And that's value. That's going back to value. How you spend your day and your time. If 10 people can solve your problem, you're probably going to pick the person you enjoyed spending time with to solve the problem. Like I don't want people working in my home and Mm -hmm. coming over to my house if I don't trust them or I don't want them in my space. So you're always going to tip over to hiring the person that's relatable, trustable. Is that Mm -hmm. a word? Trustable. Um, Connectable. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And all those things can come from, the value value. Yeah. So <laughs> I think one of your failures to get into that area 
that you mentioned was uh, you felt you let some clients take more of you or at least weren't the right type of clients because they weren't doing these kind of fun things. They maybe wanted you to do more of the normal things you knew weren't working. At what point did you realize you could choose who you work with, who you work for, who you help out? I think so early on, I had a few people say things like, oh, I, you were wearing fox ears in that interview, but you were talking about business and sales. And I had people express, oh, I couldn't tell that you were either smart or capable or, you know, they had a lot of limiting thoughts around what they were about to watch. Yeah. But what's interesting is the fox ears that I was wearing or whatever I was doing intrigued them. Mm -hmm. So that combination, the reason why I say it was a failure was not leaning as hard into those fox ears, not leaning as hard into my cringy sense of humor sometimes and wanting to look correct to bigger names or brands or companies. But I will tell you, I can get, and I what I learned is I'm going to get my clients' results by being weird, by being fun, by getting, and I can feel content sometimes. Like if I'm mm-hmm. working with a company, I can be like, ooh, that is a good story. But if I can't bring my energy to the table, I can't have that reaction to content when I can feel it. Mm -hmm. So then I start becoming this kind of numb and I'm not going to get really good results because I'm just trying to walk through a step-by-step program. And you've kind of removed the element that brings in the joy of, ooh, that's a good story. Ooh, let's shift this. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. And that energy is why people can feel behind the scenes when you present a button for them to click on. They can tell if that was created, like you said, from a genuine sense of, hey, I really have a cool button for you to click on. There's a cool thing on the other side of this that we've yeah. created, or I have a button for you to click on just so I can grab your email and I can start getting you into my funnel. <laughs> yeah. So I can't do it if I'm tied and my hands are tied. And I learned it's a failure for me to hold back my Fox fun and Mm -hmm. put myself out as weird as possible. I had people give me advice and say, stop being gimmicky on stages. You are speaking. I just spoke at a real estate conference and I did not see anyone else wearing fox ears at this conference, but I'm wearing my LinkedIn hat and my fox ears. And I immediately was able to connect with way more people. I'm more approachable. Mm -hmm. I'm more um, conversation starter. Yeah, because people can be like, "Oh, what's up with the ears? That's kind of cool, I guess." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and I think so. Similar to my failure thing, which people are always very confused by at at first, you know, it kind of makes you almost like a secret, secretly smart. Like they're they're going to think less of you, and if I'm, they think I'm a failure or they think you're, you know, more gimmicky, they won't realize that we actually know what we're doing, and so that's almost like a sneaky ninja assassin way of coming and going oh yeah by the way i know you were intrigued by the weird thing that i did or whatever but i also have all this cool stuff to back that up and i'm you know more than just fox ears or the word failure on a license plate because 
it's it, it is interesting it is ways of standing out but also i like what you said about feeling the content because it would be really hard for me to try to i mean i try it's hard for me to sell anything or try to be salesy but if i didn't like the product or believe in the thing or even working for a company where i didn't believe what they were doing it's so much harder to show up and be authentic and come across to the other person like you are being yourself so like i just won't do it anymore i'm sure you're kind of in the similar boat but when you are able to do that bring your full excited self and really be excited that's where like a lot of that magic happens. So I'm glad you're, you were able to figure out you needed to set boundaries. I know you're good with boundary setting type of stuff. I'm terrible with it um, <laughs> <laughs> on both sides. Um, but it, you know, it's good to, to feel like you're excited with the thing you're working on and not just going through the, the motion. So, you know, I think that was probably an important lesson to learn from dealing with clients that you weren't just super jazzed to be working with. Yeah. Or just taking in everyone's input and realizing that saying yes um, and trying to sell every single client, like very early on, many, many people say, and this is the advice that I got across the board was if you can get somebody to say, yes, you know, you got to close them. Like it becomes this like, I don't know if you want to relate it to fishing or something, but it really does become Every fish is a good fish to catch, but, and I did spend my years growing up fishing with my dad. So Mm -hmm. I did learn that you definitely want to put some fish back because they're too small. They're not the right kind of fish. Like some fish are not great fish to bring home and put on the grill. And there's even laws. I remember, I think for striped bass in Boston, where I grew up, it was like a 36 inches or something or more. Otherwise, you had to throw it back because that's the point. I mean, well, first of all, it's to protect the fish and all that good stuff. But you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them, when to keep it, when to release it, (laughs) all that kind of stuff, because it can drain you if you're doing stuff that is not in line with who you are as a a person. Yes. And I think it's, uh, I guess, just bringing up the word failure, it is a failure to keep holding on to something and holding on to like, say, for example, you fill up a whole bucket of fish and now you've got, I don't know, a hundred fish in this bucket Mm -hmm. and you have to sort through them. You are better off immediately deciding right when you catch one that it's the right fit or it's not instead of trying to put them all in this bucket and then sort through it at the end of the day or something. I know this, we're leaning hard into this fish analogy, but (laughs) the point is saying yes to me was a failure in my business and consistently saying yes to all the ways I could run my business started to spread me potentially too thin. So now I, at this moment during the pandemic, it, 2020 caused me to say, I will do only this. And this is the niche and this is the thing. And this is what I offer. And if you're not a good fit, that is okay. There's going to be somebody else out there that actually is probably the better fit for you. Yeah, I will serve these clients who need exactly this. That's good. It's a great way to be. And, you know, it's one of those good problems to have, you know, like, being a little too picky if we work with, but so you said during the pandemic was when you realized you weren't going to um, hold back anymore. 
do you still feel though sometimes that imposter syndrome i kind of mentioned in our green room or whatever we want to talk you know call the thing beforehand that uh <laughs> i think me and you both have very on the face of it boring backgrounds uh me and corporate finance and accounting and uh, you doing a lot in the environment and chemical engineering stuff or industries where people don't you know think creative people are really doing too much in uh since you've freed yourself from you know having to work for someone else or at least you know leaned into becoming your own boss how have you dealt with uh, imposter syndrome around being creative or staying creative or feeling like you're um, doing the right thing especially like you're saying some people give advice no don't do don't do this weird thing uh, i get that all the time because i do a bunch of weird stuff but you know how do you how do you know like where's your inner guide that tells you that you're doing the right thing or do you still i think like most creatives get that imposter syndrome from time to time so let's start with the fact that i delete the word imposter syndrome because i don't uh i think that's actually the step number one is i um, don't believe in that word and that phrasing in the way that it's been used i'm gonna Not, cross it out of my notebook right now oh <laughs> so i'm i'm erasing it from my experience here and again, this this is me telling you my mindset, right? Yeah. I I didn't resonate with phrasing like that because it immediately set me up for studying ways and looking for gaps that I think that I am not filling or I'm trying to merge what somebody else thinks of me and I'm over here. And I guess, what is that? Imposter syndrome? Is that what they define it as? I literally deleted it so far from my vocabulary that I literally am like, I'd have to Google what is imposter syndrome now? Because Well, here's, here's my take on it. And we won't use the word, but I'll, I'll say <laughs> oh no, but it's a good topic for anyone listening. I think it's worth anyone listening right now. I think it's worth asking yourself, does that mindset of even just looking at it to see if you have it, does that serve you? Mm -hmm. And maybe shift it to saying, am I listening to myself? Sure. Or, or focus on things but, you're good at rather than yeah, questioning I, what you might not be good at. Yeah, I'll just say before you tell me what imposter syndrome is, I will just say I think it's been used to incorrectly label people. And it's kind of like um, telling somebody they're not professional. Well, whose freaking definition of professional are we trying to work with? Are we working with the lawyers and judges and how you have to show up in a courtroom? Or mm -hmm. are you trying to be a YouTuber and get a meeting with Mr. Beast? Like, where is what is professional? And I definitely think professional has been used to gatekeep and hold people into different buckets mm -hmm. and to hold people in line with what society thinks belongs in each bucket. For example, hairstyles, how women wear their makeup or how people have their <laughs> um, teeth, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's go all the way to appearance and presentation and how that gets you judged, right? So that's why I delete imposter syndrome because I don't always think I or me or somebody else is struggling with imposter syndrome. We're actually struggling with society's expectations of beauty, of what is perceived as professional and being told there's a wall here and I'm not, nobody's unprofessional because they have tattoos or 
They mm-hmm. still have all the same knowledge they have in their head. They just happen to love a tattoo they put and something that reminds them in a personal story they have. So, yeah, I just I can't live with that word anymore because it just has been used too much to pull people back into a bucket that I just think doesn't matter. I don't think it matters. Do you do you actually have imposter syndrome or do you just have a freaking awesome, cool personality mm-hmm. that people aren't? wanting and they're a little bit like what's that like <laughs> yeah well so it seems like your version of it is more a lot about outward pressure oh yeah on you and and also about labeling people being labeled it sounded like yep. for me it's more like if you haven't done something that much like right now you're getting into podcasting or at least getting into being a host of a podcast you if someone came to you for advice on how to host a podcast or something you might feel like an imposter giving them advice even if you're further along because you're like, well, I know how much I don't know. So <laughs> to be teaching you, you know, sometimes people who teach or uh, even if you want to be funny, like, how do you know you're funny? You might feel like, oh, do I have <laughs> like just because I've been funny in the past? Am I still funny? Am I still able to make people laugh? Like there's a lot of ways. It's more about self anxiety around your ability to perform at the level that you're projecting into the world and so you're like that's a good definition thank you (laughs) i you can see how some people you twist it though of course to i think use it a little against you like or well a lot of things can go both ways like quiet quitting uh while it could be an empowering thing for people it also could be a negative mindset to have for any job you know i just had a conversation with angelique about that yesterday that we we're going to show in some kind of video but um it it is it's interesting just how a term, even the word failure, so many people hate the word failure and a lot of people don't want to do the, this podcast because they're like, I don't want to talk about that. What do you mean? We're going to talk about where I wasn't good, but you know, I think it depends on what that word means for you. And for me, imposter syndrome is like, I realized at some point in my life, no one knows what they're doing. Everybody has no idea what's going on from a fundamental standpoint about living life. Like, you know, everyone's, following what someone else showed them how to do or trying to figure it out on their own. So to some sense, everybody knows nothing in a, in a way. And then I know that I do know a lot about certain subjects and then I'm just comfortable with the things that I don't know as much about. So I don't think I have as much imposter syndrome because I own the uncertainty and I know that doubt and not knowing things is normal, but a lot of people want to seem like they know everything and will project that even in areas where they have no competency. Like once we started talking about fishing, I basically told you almost everything I knew in that one sentence about the 36 <laughs> rule. But, uh, you know, it's more like, I think until, how do you know you're there? How do you know you're at to the point where you can be a life coach? We know if you feel like your life's not together, there's a lot of weird things where like uh, your own self limiting beliefs could hinder you from, from doing that thing because you feel like, Oh, well that's for other people who are more this way or that way could I really do that? And so people feel like, Oh, I don't know if I can step out of my comfort zone and it's not easy all the time uh, to do that. I, I picture what you just described as leveling everything. So you become this like bar of stability and knowledge. And then the bar moves up with uh, all your knowledge increase and how much you can share, but it, it makes you this like flat bar when none of us are a flat bar. We're Mm -hmm. like, up and down and all the things in all the places. Um, So the biggest thing that I just 
gathered from listening and kind of processing how Mm -hmm. I've deleted some of those words. It's because I think having those words in my life caused me to have more failures. Yeah. Having that. And even looking at that word, I've deleted it so far. Like I will literally, if I even see a discussion on LinkedIn about imposter syndrome, I'm like mute. (laughs) Unless it's a discussion, unless it's a discussion challenging it and trying to unpack it like we're having. Yeah. But I really, anyone who says it's almost like they limit themselves by acknowledging it and saying, but I'll stay here. Kind of like accepting it. I I just don't Mm want to accept anything anymore. Like, so in my version, I don't call it deleting. I say purging it. So I just pretend like I'm like just not letting it enter my brain and I'm just rejecting, uh, remembering it basically. Uh, But you're right. A lot of negative self-talk can be more detrimental for sure. I mean, negative self-talk doesn't help at all, but that is kind of a life hack to just men in black yourself, so to speak, and flash the thingy in front of your eyes and go, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear the, (laughs) the imposter syndrome word. It is not always easy to keep up with all the latest news and developments. That's where we come in. Startup Radio a leading startup media platform in Europe. We talk with the future movers and shakers of the local startup scene. Entrepreneurs and investors come to us with their longest, most personal, and sometimes even first English interview. Our newsletter and podcasts are essential reading for anyone interested in startups and innovation in Europe. Well, and I'm quick to delete And I think that goes back to boundaries Mm -hmm. and failure. And when I haven't been quick, um, the speed of moving on and just deleting and realizing. So a few things that I did along the way, one is called an upward spiral guide. So -hmm. you can feel yourself spiraling down a little bit when you see the When you look at a failure or you look at something you did, when you listen to others and um, there was one time I feel like I listened to um, somebody, seven figure business, somebody very successful. And I looked at the agency model for running a business and it became a bit of a black and white language. If you don't do this, you will not achieve this. And I, oh, that, that got me into that world of creating a business that I was like, that's not the business I want to grow or love. And it actually held me back. It held Mm -hmm. my business. I've done way better business when I just deleted that and deleted that or purged. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Cause you're the only one who has intimate knowledge of what you're capable of, what your strengths are, what your, um, where your best future lays and all the impacts. So I've had people come to me and say, well, why haven't you done this in your business? Or why hasn't this happened? And I'm like, oh, because that's something for me that I struggle with. Yeah. And that's okay because I don't have to build a business around my struggle. Mm-hmm. If I can build a business around my strengths, I'm really good over here. And this thing over here, I'm not so good at. For example, I'm not really good at running a Facebook community. That is not my strength. Mm -hmm. So if if somebody tells me the only way you're going to be successful in business is if you open up and launch a 
Facebook community. I'm going to be like, well, then I just won't be successful. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel <laughs> be successful according to that person's yeah. worldview of how to run a business. Well, so that's one of the weird things about running a business or doing anything. So like, yeah, I'm sure you know who Justin Welsh is on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. potentially. He, he yeah. has his format. <laughs> I've never taken the course or whatever, but once someone figures out a way to do something and then they make it a blueprint or whatever, and then they mm-hmm. tell everybody else, then that's something you see all the time. It's really difficult to be like, what's the new blueprint? What's the new thing that no one's doing? that I can do to be different. That's much harder, but also has much more opportunity for you to stand out because you're not looking like everybody else uh, who's just following the same things that other people said. Sure. Maybe that's what got them there, but maybe that was a a trick that worked that time or now that there's so many people doing the same trick, it doesn't work anymore. And you need to come up with your own magic trick for how to, you know, level up your business. But it's interesting to see. I mean, uh, you see people all the time who who don't know what they're talking about, uh, teaching people stuff that they don't know. And it can be frustrating when, because uh, at least for me, I have to be like in the top 98th percentile or whatever, like the top 2% of people in a subject before I'll be like, okay, I could teach you about Accelerator. Like I had to be so good. I guess I have to be beaten over the head by something so many times, like if, uh, enough people telling me that I'm smart or funny or whatever until I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Whatever. I, I agree. I'm smart because like enough ex- life experiences and, and times when it's come in handy or whatever, fine, I'll own that. And I won't feel like that imposter in that area. I think once you prove to yourself, whatever that thing is you're capable of, then to your point, you shouldn't care what other people say. You should just go do you and be that version of yourself. And obviously we're as solopreneurs or, or people who, you know, have limited uh, sized companies, we are going to suck at a lot of stuff at first. Some of them will get better at some of them will hire people to do things for, but you got to recognize those areas that you're good at and bad at and try to lean into your strengths. Like you were just talking about. Um, well, one of the things that goes back to that upward spiral guide that, mm-hmm. so some of the things I learned that have stuck with me has been, Whatever you focus on is always going to expand. If you focus on your, that's why I think people do avoid the failure conversation. Yeah. Because focusing on your failures, you don't actually want your failures to expand. (laughs) Like, let me have more. I'm so excited for more failure. Yes. But um, one of the things that I learned, so focus on what you want more of. Mm-hmm. And the upward spiral guide that I talked about and mentioned and created was reading every single morning the best phrases people have written and said about you. Ooh, I like that. Every single morning. And it sounds kind of like, well, isn't that a little like, oh, I've got a big ego. It just reminds you of why you're doing the thing. I mean, obviously, whatever you create, it becomes a mantra in your life. You believe what you tell yourself to believe. If you believe yourself to be worthy of, I don't know, more business or something or worthy of love, all the ways that we struggle. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that will solve your struggles, by the way. Like, please. Of course. I don't believe that it's always mind over matter. We definitely have the Mm -hmm. mind, body, gut physical there's everything that the freaking world throws at you i definitely struggle 
I would say if I can do one extra thing that helps me out, that is one thing that I can do, which is read. And I actually printed out a bunch of eight by eight squares with physical printed black and white text, easy to read. So I can actually have them right in front of me and I can see them and they're very big. Yeah. And I think that's important, especially now in a digital world where you don't always see the people you're impacting or get to experience their transformation as much, you know, um, I know a lot of the people I teach, I never, I never know anything about them because they're just watching <laughs> my videos and learning how to use it. But at one point I did a giveaway where I was like, all you gotta do to enter the giveaway, send me an email and tell me how it's, the website's helped you or whatever. <laughs> and I got all these great emails with all these people saying these great things. And similarly, I made like a, like a personal doc of, of like nice things people said, cause it's good to go back and, and remember that, you know, the things you've done for other people and to the word failure and whether or not it's a good thing or not. I've, I totaled the car that that was attached to. So a negative mm -hmm. manifestation is possible uh, or possibly real, but I'm not a big fan of the, that type of thinking either. But I do think the only real failure is not learning from your mistakes. And I guess my point is you're going to make mistakes along the way. Instead yes. of just focusing on the mistake part, you should figure out what you can learn from it and apply it to the future and level up because if you made a mistake or failure and you don't learn from it, that's the saddest version because you spent the heartache of learning, like going through the thing. That's the biggest teacher of lessons for me sometimes is, is by doing something wrong and realizing it. And so, but to take that knowledge and not apply it to future behavior is like, to me, the ultimate failure. And so that's why I want uh, just to kind of, take the sting out of the word rather than just purge it completely, but also to have successful people uh, remind those who are maybe down in their luck that the path towards success has to have failed. You're not going to never mess up. You're not going to have a, a, you know, a thousand percent batting average and, you know, whatever it, hall of fame baseball players only hit the, like three out of 10 times that they get up to the plate and that's hall of fame people. So it's like, you've got to get comfortable with that 70% of the time when you're not hitting the ball or whatever it is in order to keep going. And so I think it's important to remember that, like, uh, I don't know. I posted at one point, this thing called a Kintsugi. It's an old Japanese art form where they'll take broken plot pot, put it back together with gold in like the cracks that were broken. And the idea and the philosophy is that like, not only uh, is it worth not hiding the cracks, but let's, illuminate them because this is what makes us think special. And just like, I think all the struggles that people go through, that's what makes us and our stories special. So before I get to the last two questions, which I ask everybody, is there anything on the subject of failure or in your history or anything that you want to talk about? Cause everything else is present slash forward looking. And it's only two questions. So besides, you know, where can people find you and all that jazz? Um, Which I'll get to at the last one. So technically three, I guess. I think what you just said about nobody bats, nobody's at a hundred all the time. And I think assuming or trying to hold people at a hundred is too harsh of a level. And the biggest thing I learned from myself is to stop judging because if I spend too much time judging other people's perceived failures or judge mm -hmm. i end up judging my own 
If I'm judging them, I end up judging myself and my failures. And I don't really want to do that to myself as much. I want to just, like you said, acknowledge the failure, but not attach all of my self-worth to each failure along the way, because that's not how, uh, if going back to a baseball analogy, <laughs> if you're in sports and if you attach your self-worth to one of your failed shots, failed pitches, failed whatevers, yeah. you can't finish the game. That game still needs to go on and you can actually win an entire game and have 10 failures throughout the whole game, but still yeah. win. So yeah. I think the taking away judgment, taking away the emotional connection. So I will tell you a story around, I had one of my early speaking opportunities and it was a bigger one that I had mm -hmm. and a bigger stage. So probably about 500 people in the audience, which was bigger for me at the time. Like, oh my gosh. For most people, and, it's, a, it's a, a lot. Okay. <laughs> And so I'm standing there and I realized I had a bunch of failures hitting me. The first thing and things that you don't know as a speaker until you freaking do it or you yeah. have a coach and the coach knows to tell you some things. Mm -hmm. So a few things I didn't know was not everyone has the ability for you to see your slides in front of you. So sometimes the, it's all behind you. Yeah. And if you're talking to an audience of 500 people, it looks really bad to always turn around to see what's on your slide. Yeah. Especially if you create really busy slides. And by the way, failure number two, I created really busy slides. <laughs> yeah. I, so the, 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 the Real quick, the way I got best at that, there's a book called uh, How to Give a TED Talk, I think, by Chris Anderson. Mm -hmm. If you have or haven't read that, you should check it oh, out. I've, I've fixed a little bit of that failure <laughs> oh i know i know i've never even spoken in front of that many people uh, ever but uh, i meant uh in preparation for my fictional world where i was a public speaker i've gone through the the thought process of it but you're right until you start giving present I'm, i think the most i've given it to is like you know 20 people or something like that so it's a big difference between 520 but to your point there's things you don't know until you're in the in the moment mm -hmm. and sorry number three you were going to say Oh, I was just going to say the final thing was not understanding. And this one's a silly one, but as a public speaker, you have to take your jump drive, your file, your thing. And sometimes it ends up on all whoever's computer, the AV production team is getting you mic'd up, all these moving pieces. And what happened is I didn't account for picking different fonts and creative fonts do not transfer across everybody's computers. Yeah. Someone's like, Oh, here's my Mac. And you're like, Oh no. <laughs> exactly. I, made so what PC. I, I don't even know if it works on Mac. Uh, so that goes back to um, clarity will always win over complex over the creative. So being clear will always win clear, clear, clear. So I, that goes back to if I had had clearer slides, I wouldn't have mm -hmm. needed to reference them as much. I wouldn't have looked so like, oh my gosh. So that came down to this final thing that I've always told myself, if I can just be clear, clear over clever, clear over creative, clear over complex, clear, clear, clear. I will always be quote unquote winning even in a failure. 
Mm-hmm. Failure is a lot easier to handle when you've just become clear in your boundaries, clear. You've cleared out the mud. And yeah. whenever I notice myself seeing something head in the direction of failure, like me being on stage that day felt like a failure. I felt like I got off stage. I didn't crush it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely had people say that was a great talk, but I had a lot of great talk, but. And I kicked myself for a while because I I just did. I was really hard on myself. But yeah. what's interesting is being hard on myself didn't fix it. So that's, again, another like failure 2.0 mm-hmm. is after you fail, get back up and keep playing the game. If that's the game you want to play, keep going because it's yeah. not. It's not really a failure unless you literally just sit on it and you're like failure. <laughs> yeah, resilience is important, you know, being able yeah. to to get back up after something like that is is part of the thing and that's why that's more of the point of what this is is more like you you've got to be able to weather those kind of things and I like what you said about clarity and being clear cuz um you know, a lot less things can go wrong when you're clear with your message. I like what um a previous guest of mine, Steve D Sims, wrote a book called blue fishing and he says uh, don't be easy to understand be impossible to misunderstand which i think is Ooh. a great quote because it turns it into the, the making that clarity the main point and so i think uh i try to take that and put that into what i do as well I'm not always the most clear i try to be but you know it it's a it's better because you know you'll you'll connect and reach more people if and when things go wrong if you have a clear message that you're going to talk about. You can maybe improvise a bit better and and work through those problems. But I've, I've been in similar situations where it feels like, Oh, I could have done that so much better, but now everyone thinks that's the version of, of me that I, that was the best I could do. And that's can be sometimes tough to not beat yourself up over, you know, uh, when yeah. you're dealing with it. But uh, the best way to combat that is to replace it with better memories of doing better and, you know, and learning from it. Step number one, I literally stick with like Arial. Like I'm sticking with like the simplest font, Calibri or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not creative with my fonts anymore. I I simplified my slides because then I can just speak and I can tell stories. And at the end of the day, I have learned even though I want to impart knowledge and I want to tell people everything that's in my brain and I want to be like, everybody take all this. Mm-hmm. I can only truly on stage or even on this podcast today or anything, we can really only hope that people heard maybe two things like this idea that everyone's going to be hanging and remembering every single thing you said is impossible. And I think early on my energy online was everything like i wanted to just people with info i wanted to give you everything and because i thought that was valuable and it's not yeah so especially now with attention spans and everything it seems like people need more more and more bite-sized as the day goes by yeah um but uh, i appreciate you sharing that with you i mean sorry I appreciate it. I can't even talk. No, I, I feel I, like I bombed on that stage. And I, I, if I look back, I bet other people don't even remember it. You know what I mean? Like, or absolutely. they just were like, oh, that was a good talk. Or I got inspired. My goal was, hey, think of LinkedIn differently. But yeah, a lot of people probably were like, I 
they were probably looking up to you saying, I couldn't do that. I couldn't get in front of that many people and talk. A lot of people that is, they'll know that you got up and did it, you know? So you're the one that everybody sat and listened to that at least gives you some credibility, even if you didn't, you know, knock it out of the park. Um, I think moving forward is, is always the best thing. And that's why uh, being a guest on the show, you get, I haven't made real, real ones yet. This is my old business card, but Ooh, get out of so fail, cute. get out of fail free card. So I'm going to hand that through the internet to you. You can grab that. Boop. Perfect. Now uh, you, it's a short lived card. So, um, it's so you, cute. <laughs> you have to now cash that in, but it's a get out of fail free card. So what that means is, is there a hobby, uh, a passion, uh, something that be a Broadway singer? It doesn't matter what the thing is, but uh, is there something that you would pursue if there was less failure or that you thought if you had to get out of fail free card, you'd use it to do that? It could be getting in better physical health. It could be I would use it for stand up comedy. You know, it could be something that, you know, is going to be laden with failure. So you're like, oh, I'd love to do that thing, be a musician or whatever. And I'm just giving random examples. Um, it'd be much easier if I had uh, a card to help me through that. Um. So I'm okay. I don't know if this is going to be different than what I've, what you've heard other people say, but I feel less about my own failures anymore. And I'm now, can I use that card to avoid hearing other people tell me how I'm failing? Yes. Cause I would avoid that. I'll allow it. So you mean I telling I you how you're feel feeling? Like I can handle myself, but I so for example, if I had that card, yep. TikTok channel, I would just be like, let's do it, let's have fun, put oh, myself okay. out there. I am not prepared to handle uh people telling me I'm either publicly literally replying back and saying that video sucked or mm -hmm that um advice i hate or you are ugly or yeah, the you, trolls the hair. negative people not even i i actually think the i don't even think some of the people think they're trolls i think they actually yeah. think they might be giving critical feedback or judging how i'm raising my kid and i'm a single parent and mm -hmm. i just don't think i'm open to that so it's because I just think it can be really harsh and I don't think we're meant as humans to receive all of that back. And if I could just get out of that, can I hand that card in? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can use I don't want to be, I don't want to wake up and read by anybody that doesn't know me that I have failed something. Number one, especially if they haven't paid me and they're not, they're just, it's free. <laughs> and it's, if you're paying me and you want to tell me something's failing, that's legit. I just yeah. want to clear that up. We are in a contract. We're working together. That's a business relationship. And I don't consider that. That's valid. Yeah. You're talking <laughs> about unsolicited feedback and advice. From random people that don't know you. Yeah. Yes. And so I do think something's changed in the world where people are more giving that more mm -hmm. than I've ever seen it before. I would imagine it'd be issues with themselves and 
self-esteem. Uh, I'm not ready for that. Things. So give me the card. I want the card. Yeah, yeah. You well, unfortunately, it's not real. But I, oh, I, I know. I want it to if be I real. I use it in so many things. It would you know be. what? Can you imagine if you had a TikTok channel and um, you have a video that blows up, mm -hmm. and you're like, look. I love all of you. Thank you for blowing up my last video, but I have this card. So all of the come and then you pop your failure card, right? Yep. And you pop it up and you're like, turns out they all bounced off me. So thank you. Next yeah. video. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what people do. They have it to have a real. mental. It's as real as your mind wants it to be. You have to have a shield that, that can't let those things penetrate. You know, I like want a, the card then. A literal boundary. I, I'll send you a card. I don't know how much power is in it. But no, I think it's got. I want to make ones that are um, gold, -plated. like replicas. Just kidding. Sure, gold plated, <laughs> replicas of the Monopoly one. Let's just get out. Nice. Of fail. Who the hell knows? But I think that'd be a great use for it because who wants to hear? You know, it it would allow you to be ultimately creative and who you are and express yourself without any of the downsides, which is probably unsolicited what. feedback. Yeah. Rejected. I'm so sorry. I. It turns out I'm gonna play this card. Thank yeah. you guys. <laughs> and maybe, maybe only you can't see it. Maybe that's how the magic works, you know, but either way, you, I think it'd be better, but maybe you should do it either way. I think usually when I ask that question, most times when whatever people say, they should probably do it. Okay, somehow. fine. Well, I mean, I'm a little bit, anything. I'm a little bit like kind of, I kick myself that I didn't just keep going on TikTok and just lean into it, but I, that's I just tough. didn't think I was in that mental space to handle the some of what I see some of the creators get hit with. Yep. No, totally. And I think I, it's a I have no idea how. And some of them I see turn off their comments or they do different things and mm -hmm. I think it's just really healthy to watch them do that because I think they're teaching people. But yeah, uh if anyone wants to uh help me through that potential i think it's to me it's a it's a risk of seeing people reflect back your fear of whatever it is that you might fail at so if mm -hmm. if there's cracks in you yep and you are that pot and you see the gold cracks because sure. we all have them mm -hmm. all of us i would think that's me saying that i'm scared of tiktok is i feel like they would reflect back my gold cracks but reflect them back saying they're not gold mm -hmm. and saying yeah. their weaknesses or their gaps in who I am. And I just, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. It would just be <laughs> the affirmation you didn't want that some people are also thinking whatever those things are about yourself, which is tough. It's tough putting yourself out in any, even on LinkedIn, you know, that kind of stuff can happen, but uh, <laughs> it would be a good use for, it. I'd, I'd like it. I'd also just like it generally if we could use it for everybody to have that experience and less people be negative towards each other. I mean, constructive criticism is one thing, but that's different. I want to point that out that constructive, supportive criticism or feedback. I've seen I've seen people make real amazing improvements in their lives and their health mm -hmm. when people point something out. Like, have you had that mole checked out or have you? Um, have you thought about your posture or all the different things? People are literally, I think, changing and saving lives on that platform. Mm -hmm. But, oh, man, I'm not ready for the randomness of picking apart things that just don't need picked apart. So, yeah. 
I remember back when I first started my Excel videos, this will be quick. Uh, some, someone commented and they said, I had maybe 20 videos on my site at this point. And they said, oh, your videos are great, but you say, um, like every five seconds or whatever. And they didn't say it in that way. They were trying to be nice. And I listened back and I was like, oh no, they're right. And then I went through and I edited all the ums out of every video that I'd already made, which is a pain. I got really good at identifying the wave signature of an um, but, uh, but that helped me get better. So I ultimately hate thanked <laughs> mentally that person. Cause I was like, you know, thank you for pointing it out, but uh, it, it must not have been easy for them either. Either. Cause like when you're giving someone actual like feedback to try to help them, it's hard to do that in a way that doesn't uh, take away from what they're trying to do. So hopefully. And that's the key. Nobody ultimately will know your final goals in life and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So I had somebody almost try to explain to me. I don't know if I said this already, but I launched my newsletter saying it was going to be weekly Mm -hmm. and I had to change it and update it to doing it monthly. And somebody reached out and they presented that to me as if it was a failure And I replied back and I said, turns out I was getting too much business from each time that I would put out a newsletter. Mm -hmm. I had too many inquiries of how can I work with you? And so I stopped posting it as often because I couldn't handle the inquiries each week. So once a month I can handle them. And I think I kind of blew their mind because they weren't even thinking that. And they were like, oh, and they replied back with something a little awkward. But yeah, it's stuff like that, that I think either I will have to sit down and map out my boundaries because I do think that will always be how you handle failure Mm -hmm. is how you create the boundaries in your life for your brain to stay as healthy as it can, because Having a lot of people interact with you, I don't know if that's how we were made to be on this planet. No. We were made to be, I think, in smaller communities and villages and receiving thousands of people. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's a lot for us. I feel like I remember some number of 150 people being the most like interpersonal relationships that you can actually maintain as a, as a human based on like how we evolved and everything after 150, like it splits into different groups and stuff and, you know, like the way that we evolved. So, yeah, I think uh, especially how quickly everything's changed from 30 years ago, no one would see anything you did. <laughs> and now you just fail in private. Everything you do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a weird world we're living in. So, or if you fail on stage in front of 500 people, you just fail on stage in front of 500 people. Now there's video and now now there's everyone with their phones. And so if you look like you, it's just the multiplication of those errors just feel bigger. So give us that card. We need that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) I'm glad I'm not growing up today because when I was growing up, if all my things were recorded and all my dumb things that I did, I would, it would be tough to, to have that live on forever. Um, so yeah, we'll, I'll get working on a card that somehow magically actually works. Um, and then the the last question before we tell people where to go to find you and see you and what you're doing on the, these days is what's the next thing you're going to fail at? As you know, uh, instead of fake it till you make it, I like to say fail it till you nail it. So what's the next thing that you're approaching 
I have a vague idea of probably what you're going to say, but we're Oh, wait, what do you think? Tell me, uh, tell me what you think I'm going to fail at. Well, you're going into a new whole thing, doing a, a podcast that you just released uh, an episode of. Mm-hmm. You're doing a lot more in the um, audio space that's uh, maybe outside of LinkedIn. I didn't know if any of those new genres or meandering paths you might be taking with your business stuff. Cause I don't know everything that's going on, but if any of those things are something you're like, Oh, this is going to be a new tough thing, but I'm just going to do it and figure it out and fail it. So I nail it. Um, I think because I've changed my mindset a lot around failure, I don't really see, I've seen so much that when you create something, it's, probably always built to fail in some ways fail it will end sure i mean it's either going to end because i'm not here anymore which is morbid yep but technically almost everything kind of ends it will it doesn't mean it's going to be the exact same way that it is right now it Mm -hmm. will evolve that is technically an ending so and i don't mean an ultimate failure i like i mean like the I'm not that great at this now. I'm going to get better at it as I, um, as I continue along that path. That's the fail. So, you know, thing. cause fake it till you make it's more like, I am not good at this and I'm going to pretend forever. It sounds like to me, <laughs> but oh, yeah. Whereas you're like, I, Oh, I got to build my skill set in this area because this is something I'm going down the path of. Okay, fine. I will share what I okay, think fine. I'm really bad at, or I, I feel like I'm, I can be a creative and I can be big picture and I can like, I got so inspired last night out of the blue and I wrote down five, like four or five kind of business ideas and things I would love to create and bring out into this world. But I'm not always good at either finding what I think is the right team members to make it and execute it mm-hmm. and always communicating my vision and bringing it to life, especially if it's a physical product or yeah. I don't know. I see myself as a visionary mm-hmm. and then pulling me down to the physical realm of creating the final product. So I have so many good ideas. I, I think it's a failure of mine to not fi- figure out a way to execute them. So well, I'll just try a little harder. <laughs> how to like, cause it's hard to know when you've got a bunch of good ideas or what you think are good ideas, which one is the one you should prioritize more than some of the others. So it can be like, you know, feel like you're missing out on some of those things. Was there anything that got you into an inspirational mood specifically? Um, I was actually reading Jay Abraham's book. That is uh, the one from t- the I've year 2000. And I love some of the stuff I've consumed from him. He's very the OG of marketing and advertising and business mm-hmm. and his advice is very timeless and it's, it just immediately, I've had the ideas for a while, but reading that book for some reason sparked me to go, I need to write these down. I need it now. Like I, and I don't always feel like I have the clarity to explain things. So one of the things last night, and I probably am rambling at this point, but I do it all the time. I literally was saying to myself, and I tell clients this all the time, telling people something is free does not convert. Mm -hmm. But last night when I was reading his book, I was, he shared something in that space 
And the reason why free does not convert is because free matters to you. It matters because you think it matters to your audience. Like, oh, I'm going to give this value away to you for free and you're going to want it in exchange and you're going to give me my, your email. But have you ever heard the the term, there's no such thing as a free lunch? Yeah. Or time is money. There's no such thing as a free opt-in. Yeah. My time is money. Mm -hmm. So when you lead with free energy on LinkedIn or on any channel, I think at this point, that's not the compelling thing for the audience. The fact that it's free. Yeah. It's the thing they wanted. It's the thing they get on the other side of free that has to actually be compelling enough to want it for free or to exchange something for free. So when people say grab a free 15 minute call with me, they can I cuss? They do not yes. give a shit about that. I know. It's like they care that I can access. I want to call Ben and I want mm-hmm. 15 minutes with Ben because Ben has convinced me that he can tell me in 15 minutes. Um, he can give me a, a 15 minute audit of my podcast. By the way, it's free. Yeah. It's an afterthought that it's free. It's the sell me on the what you're going to give me. And then by the way, right now it's free for, I'm going to offer it for free for the first like 10 people or something kind of like that, but give Mm -hmm. it boundaries because this energy around free is just done. People are like, it's never free. I'm now in your email list. I'm now being sold to you. I now my time monetary, but it was, uh, my time is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And And my bandwidth is valuable. Yep. And even me, I hate um, turning down salespeople. So I know that'll be part of the conversation as well as when I'm saying no to whatever they're trying to do. Like, I don't enjoy that either. So there's also that. So when I get an email saying free event invite, I'm literally reading an email. I'm not even kidding. Split Mm -hmm. screen right here. I can see the words. I just got an email saying, and the compelling words free event invite. There is nothing in any of that that tells me what I'm actually going to get. Yeah. What, how you'll be transformed by that event. I don't give a crap. Any event on the internet could be free at this mm-hmm. point. Yep. Any there's topic, a lot of competitive free things for most Any things. topic is free at this point. So you're just competing with free against free. So free doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. So stop it people. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. And, and lead with the, uh, what they're going to get from it. You know? Yeah. So that was my random Judy Fox side rant, but that I need to bring these kinds of topics and conversations more public. And I don't always do that. I don't, yeah. I, I kind of sometimes, I think just because I'm over here just trying to make my business work that I don't always share the things I just shared right now, like literally advice right now. If you think to yourself, your next event, you want to lead with the word free, try out putting that at the end as a bonus. Yeah. Or not mentioning it. Don't even mention it. Just say, this is what you'll learn. Come join me. Have fun. Yeah. Like they'll understand it's free, but without exactly being involved in the registration, not the thing that sells us anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and side super side note, when <laughs> you're doing the free competition, uh, then quality is really what starts to matter because if people are going to get stuff for free, so if you're going to make something for free, also make it quality and make it worth their time too because 
uh you know there's a lot of other free webinars we could go to and and we like to actually get value that's what that's one of my things too is i like it's really hard for me unless i know that i can provide the amount of value that i that i want so last thing where can people find you what are you working on these days promote whatever your thing is that you want to send mm-hmm. people to and uh and i'll make sure to include them in the show notes and everything but uh but yeah, just tell them where they can connect with you. I imagine LinkedIn will be part of it, but go, go, go yes. ahead. <laughs> the easiest way to find me is to type in J-U-D-I-F-O-X.com. That's the key is the I. So J-U-D-I-F-O-X.com. And you can kind of go down all the fox rabbit holes from there. <laughs> so you've got uh, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. And yeah, you'll find me hanging out on all the different spaces and maybe you'll find me on TikTok someday. So what's the new podcast that you're doing with uh Vinny Potestivo? It's called the Social Audio Power Hour. And the whole thing is revolving around we want to talk more about social audio. So I created the hashtag let's talk social audio and the company page or the branding on LinkedIn is hey let's talk social audio. So that is how you find us. Type awesome. in the words, let's talk social audio, and you will find us on LinkedIn. Cool. And then I'll make sure to link to all that stuff in the show notes. But thank you so much yeah, for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing your failures and being vulnerable and all that jazz. Now, was it a failure that I rambled? No, I. it's usually me who's doing a lot of that. So, and uh, don't worry, I get to edit it. So you can always cut it out. <laughs> um, but no, you did great. I, I definitely appreciate it. And, um, and I wish you all the success and as minimal failures as possible moving forward. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.